Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to Not to Luft. My name is Gabriella Lahti. Today we will hear from three people who are all ready to leave everything behind on this planet. Family, friends, lovers, because they want to go to Mars. They want to go to planet Mars on a one-way mission. Today's episode, Citizens of the Galaxy. Um, who am I? I? I'm Diane McGrath. I'm one of the shortlisted Mars One astronaut candidates. I'm, uh, there are seven of us here in Australia, and uh, I'm one of the lucky ones that are still in the the running. Seven, six, five. Well, my name is Christian, and um, I would probably describe myself as as kind of an experimentalist, a, a curious person. Four, three, two. So uh, my name's Ryan MacDonald. I'm just finishing off a master's degree in physics at the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. Uh, my broad interest is I'll, I'm about to start some research at the University of Cambridge in October on exoplanets looking for evidence of life beyond our own solar system. And I would like to go to Mars as well. <laughs> One, zero. Um, I'm also a sustainability and business consultant. I'm doing my higher degree by research, so eventually hopefully a PhD, and it's in environmental engineering. It's focused specifically on food waste in particular. Um, I also do a lot of volunteer work. I'm on the boards of three different not-for-profit organisations that uh, they operate in the, the food sustainability and food security areas. Uh, and. Uh, most of my hobbies have to do with technology. I would probably describe myself as either, you could say I'm a technologist or just generally curious. I, I enjoy uh, working, poking around with the stuff like 3D printers and electronics. And yeah, and that's probably where most of my motivation comes from. I've uh, built my own 3D printer. You can see right over here. There it is. Well, I think the earliest memory I have is, I remember uh, I had a lot of books when I was really young and I remember looking inside of them and seeing particularly artist concepts and illustrations of the surface of Mars and the rings of Saturn, the moons of Jupiter. And I was just fascinated by it because although I was interested in space as a whole and the universe as a whole, there was just something so concrete about other planets because we'd actually gone there, we'd sent spacecraft there. And in particular, when looking at pictures from the early Viking missions from the surface of Mars, knowing that it was within our reach. And that just really fascinated me with the idea that maybe one day we could go there ourselves and see it with our own eyes. And so that always entranced me, that idea. 
I do a lot of uh, athletic activity, so I, I run and go to the gym and do Pilates and boxing. Uh, but I also like to to read and um, I love cooking and, and working with with food and, uh, and plants in particular. Um, that's who I am. I'm a 45 year old um, athletic um, woman who has multiple degrees, interested in sustainability and would love to be a part of what I think is an incredible legacy mission to Mars. When I started out in the Mars One project, uh, I didn't have a partner either, but uh, a few weeks into it, I think maybe it was a month after, I, I got a girlfriend and and I didn't really think about uh, her in, in conjunction with Mars One. So when I uh, moved on to the next round uh, and I told her that I was in, in the Mars One project, um, that, that, that kind of hurt her. She felt a little bit rejected. And ev even though I didn't know her when I participated in the project at first, when I applied to it, obviously I, I didn't mean to reject her. But that kind of opened my eyes to the kind of, of commitment you need to present another party in your life. So when it turned out that it didn't work out between her and me, I, I haven't, I, I've consciously avoided uh, relationships since then. And it's my intention to do that until until I've got some kind of, of, you know, clearance on the Mars One project, whether it's whether I move on or or drop out. Well, I believe originally in 2012, I stumbled upon a YouTube video that was describing Mars One and about the process behind it, and I was just immediately blown away because. All, all talk of human missions to Mars, they were all, well, maybe 30 years down the line, we'll go there and we'll scoop up some rocks and bring them back, much like a modern day Apollo program. But then here were people who were saying, on a time frame just 10 years from the present, they were going to establish a permanent human settlement on Mars. Now, I, I found this particularly interesting because I, I'd read about Buzz Aldrin's plan, which was much similar in terms of Mars to stay, how it's cheaper to send a one-way mission, and by doing it, you accomplish that much more. But this was the first time I seriously saw a group of people who were saying, we're going to do it. And it, I was just immediately entranced by the idea. And so I immediately signed up to their mailing list, started getting information about him. And uh, I even at one point um, traveled to Edinburgh to see uh, Baz Lansdorp, the CEO of Mars One, give a talk about the program. Because I had so many technical questions. As, as you can imagine, as a scientist, we have to be skeptical first until we can be convinced that something is feasible. But he was certainly able to answer my questions and that's when I really got behind the support of the program. I can't remember the exact website but I think it was on uh, on a forum somewhere where someone just linked to uh, you know talked about this this project where they were looking for people to go one way to Mars and that I found that kind of interesting because as I mentioned, I've always been interested in, in technology and, and space flight is like, it, it's the ultimate uh, human expression of technology. That's where the most advanced of our technologies goes, well, arguably, but at least it's, it's a place where a lot of our advanced technology goes into. So that kind of caught my interest. And, and as, I read, as I read up on it, I saw that there's, there was only a few weeks until the deadline for their application. And I also noted that you could, that they emphasized that you could drop out at any point. So I decided to, to apply and then during the application process, read up on, on all the stuff that I found interesting. 
to see if, if it was something I wanted to stay a part of. And, and one of the things that motivated me was, as I read up on all of this, I, I read up on background of uh, space flight and you know, the, the history of space flight generally, and I fairly quickly uh, bumped into the, uh, the Apollo program, the moon landing. Of course, I, I knew about it, but I, I read in detail about it. And I realized how much spin-off technology had come from that. That was kind of my, my primary motivation because then I got to thinking what kind of, of technological spin-off would come from a, a trip to Mars. And I decided that was that was a thing that we could use nowadays and that I wanted to, uh, to um, contribute to. Yeah, so when the applications first opened in April 2013, it was a very extensive online application that we had to fill in. So we had to submit a motivational video explaining why we want to go to Mars about our sense of humor. We submit a quite extensive psychological evaluation. I remember spending about a week filling in my application. There were so many questions on it. I didn't even bother having a shower to my hair. I just had a sweatshirt on, like a jumper, a sweatshirt on after my run. And uh, I just made it in my lounge room. But eventually I, I just said, that, that'll do, and submitted it. But I didn't actually think I was going to get through um, the first, when I found out that there were so many people who had been interested in applying uh, that I, you know, that I got a chance of me getting through, especially when I got to see some of their profiles on um, the Mars One community page. Uh, you know, the people who obviously had physics degrees, who were pilots or ex-NASA, etc. And uh, I thought, oh gosh, oh well, oh well, you've got to be in it, why not? Um, and so I was, when I found out in December that year, towards the end of the year in 2013, that I had got through, I, um, when the email came, I had to read it about four or five times. I couldn't believe that I got through. If you passed that uh, and went on to the second round, there was, uh, there was actually some physical tests there. We were handed a, or sent a piece of uh, paper we had to take to our general practitioner and have some, have some general health checks, uh, uh, an electrocardiogram and a blood, blood test to make sure that our livers were in good working order, you know, just to, uh, to scrape off if, if anyone were in obvious poor health. It's very similar to what you have to do for a traditional astronaut tests. For instance, you have to have good vision, 20-20 corrected vision, so glasses or contact lenses are fine, but good hearing, good functionality in all joints. So in total, 705 people passed that, and then we then had to undergo online interviews. It was all done with the chief medical officer of Mars One, Dr. Norbert Kraft, who has um, worked selecting astronauts for the Japanese Space Agency before and has also done simulation missions for the Russian Space Agency and has worked for NASA as well in long-duration human spaceflight. So we had short interviews because it's really easy to identify who is not suitable to go to Mars. So there were psychological questions that were looking for kind of contradictions in our mentality. So for instance, if someone says, oh yeah, I'm a good team member, but then you ask, well, let's say three or four years down the line, it becomes possible to do a return trip from Mars. Would you then take that? 
If you then say, yeah, sure, my mission's then done, I want to go back, I want to talk to people on Earth. That shows a contradiction because you're thinking about yourself and the things that you want to do, and not about the future crews who are going to go to Mars who will need your experience. So it's showing that you're picking people who are genuinely committed and understand that this is a one-way mission and they want to do that. But the, it was primarily to ascertain whether we had the, we were aware of the risks. How much radiation we were going to be exposed to, how much our risk of getting cancer by a certain age was going to increase by. We were willing to take, or if we were just saying, uh, yeah, I'll do that, and never thinking about it a second time. And so that was used as the basis to select the final hundred that we are currently at. When I received the email saying that I'd got through a shortlist to the hundred, uh, I was out shopping with uh, my partner and. Uh, I remember at the time actually I got the email because I went I went outside to go stand in a car park because we were actually under a confidentiality agreement at the time such that we couldn't tell anyone that we'd been selected or not. It was to give us like time to prepare and cater for any media interviews that were going to come up. And so I went out to the car park so that no one could hear either me sobbing or me like my elation. Uh, and then I, I finally you know, opened the email and, uh, and read it out aloud as I was standing in the middle of the street on the sidewalk and uh, and jumped and we were just jumping up and down for joy couldn't believe that I got through to the hundred it was just incredible and I remember jumping up and down actually when I got the email it was incredible the group training that comes next because you could be the best possible individual candidate but if you can't get on with a group of four people then you're out it's the group dynamic that rules everything I would prefer to have the opportunity to return. I, I, I don't say I'll necessarily be using it, but I would definitely prefer to have the opportunity. But that's, if, if I want that, if that's a requirement for me to go, I would have to wait several years. And I don't see a reason for us as a species to wait several years when we have the opportunity to do this tr trip right now. And I also actually see it as somewhat of a boon to us because if we had the opportunity to return, that's, that's, I, I fear we could be in the same situation as we were after the, uh, the moon landings. There is of course a difference that there aren't any readily usable uh, resources on the moon worth the trip there and there is a lot of resources on Mars but still I see it as a, as a we could risk being in the same situation where we just go there stand on the on the uh, other celestial body and, and plant a flag and then don't come back for several years in itself it isn't necessarily uh, detrimental to our efforts but if you view it that way today this day very day we couldn't send a, a person to the moon. We uh, obviously we have the technology because we've done it before, but we've just lost a lot of the the, the handiwork. M many of the people that work on the Apollo program, uh, they're either retired or they just haven't worked on, on that scale of rockets for a long time. So it's also a question of, of keeping our skills up to date to be able to have that fun uh, that foundation that'll allow us to advance even further. So, uh, seen from that point of view, I think it's a good thing that, that we won't be able to just, you know, abandon the project. Because once there are people there, at least those people will have to take it very seriously. 
I don't think that I could um, go into a relationship knowing that one day I would be leaving them behind for a mission like this. So I've been holding off on anything like that to, until at least I know if I've been selected to go into training or not, because I don't think it's responsible to initiate something new like that. The way that I see it is there are certain things in life that everyone gets to do. For instance, getting married and then having a family. But for me, I don't, I don't want what everyone gets to do. I want to experience something that no one in history has ever got to do before. So if that means that I have to give up on things like that in order to get a chance to be one of the first people on Mars, potentially discover evidence of past or present life there, it's certainly worth that. And if by doing this mission I can inspire a generation of scientists, then of course I'll give up having my own family to do that. It's definitely a worthwhile uh, sacrifice. And I think because it is one way, it's part of what I think will make this mission quite successful, that permanency. Uh, when if you think about when you, there's a huge difference between permanency and if you're just visiting. I mean, the way we treat a place when we go for a, a work trip or for holidays or something, it's vastly different to how we treat a place when we lay down our roots and make it our home. Um, if I, if, if it was a return trip, I suspect we'd probably see Mars, the planet, treated the same way that perhaps Antarctica was and is treated. So it's it's treated almost like a transitory location, a base where people come and go and not necessarily a home. Uh, at home, I don't, I don't actually damage or pollute. Um, I actually look after the place that I live. Um, you know, <laughs> but unfortunately, a lot of people who are tourists do not. And so, and I think that permanency aspect, it drives necessity as well. I mean, when you're visiting Mars, you know, they're not going to need to have systems in place to assist in any sort of long-term survival on Mars. So there's quite a cost and a challenge in that. Uh, and it's not, they'll have to bring a lot of extra stuff for redundancy. But if you're staying, if you're living on Mars, that permanency, that one way, uh, I believe because of that, we'll end up developing a lot of creative solutions for some of the problems we face um, here on Earth as well as the community on Mars. Um, I actually enjoy a lot of support from my family. Um, when I told my mother about the uh, project, she was a little bit disappointed that the uh, that the project had already that they were done. Just um, taking accepting applications because she wanted to apply too. So that was like that's like the ultimate support I could have from my mom. And and even though my father doesn't share my motivations, he uh, he tells me that he accepts those motivations, and and he's very supportive too. He's not saying he would do it, but, but he definitely supports me doing it. And I think that's a very important thing because it's, it's easy enough to make uh, sacrifices on your own part, but it becomes very difficult if you have to make sacrifices on other people's behalf. So uh, I think this would be a much more difficult uh, situation for me if I didn't have my family's support. Well, my family weren't actually that surprised when they learned that I'd signed up, because I'd never really made any secret that if I ever got a chance to go into space, of course I would take that. It's been a childhood fascination for me. But of course, they don't want me to go on a personal level, but they equally, they understand that this is something that I've wanted to do 
for my entire life really and my family aren't the kind of people who will stand in the way of my dreams um, so long as and I keep telling them that I can obviously communicate with her from Mars just with a communications delay but yeah it will be tough not not just on me obviously being on Mars but also on them knowing and when I'm there and I'm able to see my family grow up and grow old without me that will be really tough but I'm the kind of person who always tries and focuses on the bigger picture and the way that I see it at the end of my life I want to be able to look back and know that it mattered what I did in my life and if that mean, means that perhaps I have to give up some of my own personal happiness to achieve that then yes yes I'd certainly do that it's what, it's what matters after you die that's most important I think the, the only time I would feel concerned and it's not scared is really if um, all of the launch missions that will occur before the first human launch missions if um, those missions failed then yeah be a bit concerned but if the technology is working um, then I don't have a concern you know I'll, I'll do everything I need to do and commit to the mission as much as as I personally can um, I'm not worried about you know will I miss people then obviously I will I know this but then you can start to work through that you can do you can train from the psychological resilience and emotional resilience um, and also I've been doing work in the area of grief and loss and one of the areas that um, it's just like when you move into state I guess or when you move to another country um, you find that over time people stop contacting you or you lose contact with a lot of people over time and so those relationships end uh, or change in their shape as people move on in their lives it will be the same going to Mars um, if I get to go there'll be many people who speak to me less. In fact, Mars One encourages you to drop out at any possible point. People always say, well, what if, what if people go to Mars and then they get regrets? The, the reason that we try and avoid that is Mars One tries at every point in the training program to break you, to make it actually so that the training is even more harsh than life on Mars would be, so that only the very most committed people would stick in the program. And um, our chief medical officer says that you can drop out at any point up until you actually step inside that rocket. And indeed, they don't even tell you which crew has been selected to go until a couple days before, so that everyone's training, everyone's in the moment. And if anyone does drop out, then that entire crew then has to go back with a new crew member and start again from the training. So it's only if you've shown full commitment for the 10 years of training that you actually get to go. I've also been preparing myself by making sure that I'm aware of what my physical and health challenges will be and doing as much as I can to optimize my health uh, in readiness for that and part of that is making sure that I can uh, increase my bone mass um, and bone density and muscle mass because I'm aware that uh, that's one of the things that we do lose when we spend extended periods of time in um, zero gravity or you know, weightlessness uh, even though I mean you can maintain it if you are doing a lot of exercise in space uh, but it doesn't hurt to be at a higher baseline to start with. So that's what I've been doing, that physical exercise and exploring other aspects of nutrition to make sure that uh, I'm aware of what I eat. And uh, I purchased some um, cricket uh, flour the other day to start experimenting with crickets in my diet in particular because they're very, very high in protein and iron uh, as well as calcium. 
And so um, as a, an athlete, I do need more of most of those um, uh, nutrients in particular. So I've um, been working with that and, and using it in my meals, usually part of maybe um, in a part of a stew or I might, um, the other day I used it in, I made some um, little fritters, some um, cricket and zucchini fritters, uh, they were delicious. Um, so I'm yeah, just starting to play around with that and seeing how it affects, how my body responds to it, but also um, what's that, what is that doing to my nutrient profile. As far as I see it anyway, uh, that space travel and, and Mars is definitely coming back. We've seen the, the, in the last three or four years huge um, advances in, in, in commercial space flight. Uh, companies like uh, Blue Origin and SpaceX and Bigelow, they are really rushing forwards and, and people are much more interested in space than they were a couple of years ago. Actually, uh, like five years ago after the cancellation of the uh, space shuttle program, if you'd ask me there, I'd probably have kind of a bleak outlook on, on the whole space travel situation. So I think I think it's important to say even if if Mars One doesn't succeed, I'm I'm positive that we will, as a race, colonize Mars. It may be it may be later, or that may even not influence it at all. Maybe SpaceX will go there alone, uh, regardless of what happens. But I think it's important that we have uh, something visionary to uh, to rally around, something really challenging, because whether that be and that's going to be a little bit unpopular view, but but even uh, even the things such as wars have always united some people and driven forward the um, the technology technological level of of the involved parties. But uh, contrary to war, I see space travel as uh, I would like to view that as the the twenty first uh, century equivalent to wars, just without all the fighting, because that definitely uh, definitely uh, evolves technology too. So I think it's it's important that that we're get we're being interested in space again. It's a fantastic opportunity, I think, for for us to look at ourselves as well. Um, I mean, when man first landed on the moon, we and we saw those pictures as well of our planet from space, and and I think it was something which inspired people to want to do more to protect this planet and preserve it and recognise how fragile it is, uh, and I think when we take that next leap forward and we see ourselves and our place in um, the solar system, not just within proximity to the moon, um, I hope that that will encourage us to, to do even more, but not just from the sustainability perspective, um, but also from how we see ourselves as a society. What What is the best society? How do we work best as a, as a community? I mean, that's the Mars One mission because it's not a mission that's governed by you know, a, a government organisation. It's not NASA, so it's, it doesn't have to been run by a democracy. Um, it's the Mars One community that's set up on Mars will establish its own governance structure. It's you can imagine it doesn't even have to have the same judicial system as any government here or, or country here on on Earth. It can set up its own judicial system. Same thing with economic framework. Um, there's no there are no shops on Mars. What are you going to spend money on? Do you need money? When do we need to start to create an economy? Um, and what we what do we want it to look like? We have this incredible opportunity to start a society from scratch, like completely from scratch, and put in the, the systems, the, the political framework, all of these sorts of things that 
that do contribute to our societies, but from a lot of considered thought. Uh, and that's some of the stuff that we'll learn in um, the training, if I get to go through the 10 years of training, will also include um, learning about governance uh, and also learning about social structure and things like that um, so that we can actually consider and test the types of society that may, we might wish to put together. Uh, and I think that's pretty exciting to, to do that sort of research and, and um, testing or experimentation of what a society could look like if we got to do it from a considered perspective from scratch. Well, so my chances of getting selected to go into training are relatively good, in particular when compared to the odds that I've already had to go through. But it's quite possible that all of the 24 people that get selected in the first training round at some point are proven not suitable over the 10 years. That's why Mars One continually has new selection rounds opening every two years. So if I were to look at my overall odds of being on the first crew, that's relatively remote, around, say, 1% or so. But the way that I see it, maybe by being involved, just by being involved already, I'm getting people excited about space exploration and making young people want to become scientists. And that certainly motivates me to do it. Who knows, maybe I could be the person who inspires the person who one day gets to be the first person on Mars to apply for the program. So it's a win-win situation. But yeah, you do have to be objective and you have to understand that, of course, your individual odds of getting to go to Mars are quite remote. But that's not the point of it because the probability of achieving something just by applying and then going into the training for the mission um, is quite high, actually. So, and it's, I don't see it as being a bad thing to get astronaut training. I think that would look wonderful on a CV, actually. You've been listening to Nattluft. In today's episode, we heard from Ryan McDonald, Diane McGrath, and Christian Olendorf Knudsen. Nattluft is produced by me, Gabriella Lahti. If you want to know more about the Mars One mission, check out mars-one.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.